0: Welcome to the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. Our goal is to serve and encourage you as you build a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as we study the Word of God together in this week's episode. Camp in Exodus tonight, so if you want to turn to Exodus 19, similar to Israelites, we're going camping. Um, And I'm excited. I'm excited because it it feels like, um, and it seems to me through my discernment, that since we've begun to really come together to worship intently and not passively um, like we were last year. It seems like every week that we get together, the Lord meets us in a tangible way. It may be the same way. It may be a similar way, but He's meeting us. And I'm, I'm excited about that because as His presence fills into this place, as we worship Him, truly worship Him in spirit and truth, his Spirit is going to overflow into the rest of what is going on here. Um, not just with the people that we meet on the outside that we minister to on a daily basis, but honestly, the thing that I'm the most excited about is for the volunteers of the Knock to really begin to feel the Lord's tangible presence here, because there have been a lot of people that I know we've ministered to over the years that have just been volunteers that have been on the fence about giving their life to Jesus or... Maybe they were born into a denomination that they have been passive about. And what I would love to see is to see our volunteers here on fire for the Lord the same way that we are, because it would make all the difference with the way that we interact with the community on a daily basis. Um, And so I'm excited about that because it feels like the Lord is, it seems like the Lord, it appears to me that the Lord is answering at least the prayers that Kate and I have been praying. for us as a church because it has to start with us you know um several weeks ago I I repented to you guys and if you weren't here for that I just want to repent again like Since Kate and I took over Highland Park Community Church, we've been outreach focused. That's the only thing we've really cared about. When we get together and pray, it's all about outreach and going into the community. When we get together to worship, it's all about worshiping for the community. Uh, When we get together to do messages and sermons, it's most of the time it's been about us trying to get you guys ready to go out into the community and minister here. But the fact of the matter is, if our hearts aren't right and going to the Lord first and foremost because He's worthy, then it doesn't matter what we do out there. Yes, we evangelize because He's worthy, but if we don't recognize worth on a personal level ourselves and come together to worship Him on behalf of that revelation, whatever revelation we have of His character and who He is right now, then what we carry with us is is not going to be seen the way that it could be. Right. And so as we study how to make a sacred space, towards the end, we're going to get into well, what does that look like in the New Testament? But again, I, I think it's important. I mean, you guys know I love the Old Testament, so I'm just gonna give you reference after reference. We're gonna just, like I said, we're camping here because we need to go over Mount Sinai, we need to go over the tabernacle, then we need to move forward to the temple, and then we need to talk about Jerusalem as a holy city, Israel as a holy nation, and then what that means for us as Christians in the New Testament. There's a lot that goes into what it is to partner with the Lord to create a sacred space, and all of that is based on patterns that we have to find in the Old Testament, right? One of our disadvantages, and I've said this over and over again, one of our disadvantages in living in the West is that during, um, during the Dark Ages and during, during the Age of Enlightenment and all the other different ages, um, during other denominations throughout Europe that we've inherited as our, as our religion, because honestly, we've inherited... European Christianity as our religion rather than what true Christianity started as, which is based in Judaism. And so because of that, we listen to sermons and have textbooks that we've studied that are based on what Europeans hundreds of years removed from the original religion and text who oftentimes hated the Jewish people. We've relied on their interpretations of the Bible to teach us things. But as we come to know more about the Bible and God's people, the Hebrew people, we get to see glimpses or greater glimpses into what heaven looks like because we begin to understand from a Hebrew standpoint what they were actually talking about when they were writing these things because we miss a lot of it because we weren't born into that context, right? Um, And so one of the big contexts of the New Testament is holy spaces, now they can either be holy unto the Lord, which is what we're aiming for, holy unto Yahweh, or they can be holy unto another type of Elohim, or what we would call a demonic being, right? Um, we need to understand the difference, because one of the biggest threats to Christianity right now, again, because we've we've relied on on um, on interpretations of the Bible that weren't all bad but oftentimes had flaws in them based on Westerners based on Western uh, thought patterns rather than in Hebrew thought patterns because of that things like new age systems have begun to infiltrate the church and we want to stay away from those things we talk about those things a lot like um, well I don't talk I don't talk about those things from the pulpit a lot but if you catch me on a day where, you ask me a question about something like that, I'll get excited and then I'll ramble. And, and, and it, you know, maybe you'll have fun, maybe you won't. It depends on whether or not you want to hear about those things. But one of the things that we have to be careful of is we have to understand the context of what constitutes holiness unto the Lord and what constitutes a holy place. Um, I've said this before, just because we're Christians, it doesn't mean that we don't still follow parts of the old testament law because we're supposed to follow the spirit of the law not the letter of the law perfect example of that is when jesus said love your god as your one and only god with all your heart soul strength and mind and then the next is like it love your neighbor as yourself it's a summary of the ten commandments if you want to know what those two verses mean you go back to the ten commandments and it'll give you a list of how to love god as your one and only god and then how to love your neighbor as yourself he summed it up but he didn't he didn't nullify it right and so in order to understand the patterns that we're supposed to follow as Christians, we have to go back to the Old Testament, which is what we're getting at. And I'm rambling about this because I'm passionate about it. But one of the things, one of the reasons why this is so important, and I'll, I'll end with this and then we'll get into the text, is in the New Testament now, here now, we are called the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means we, and and there's in Ephesians, it says that we are actually sealed by the Holy Spirit. God, God, uh, Jesus poured out his blood on the cross to make sure that we would become a sacred space dedicated to him but oftentimes we miss out on what God is doing in the world around us we miss out on what he's do, wants to do in our lives and in the lives of those around us because even though we were bought with a price and we were we were designed to be a sacred space we still eat at the table with demons and demonic doctrines or sin patterns that defile us. And I'm not saying that they defile us enough to where we lose our salvation. It's not what I'm saying at all. But what it does do is it makes us ritually unclean. And when we are ritually unclean, it hinders how we see the Lord, how we hear from Him, and how we experience His presence here on the earth like, for instance, in Leviticus, uh, unbelievers make a big deal about this. But in Leviticus, it actually says that when a woman is going through her menstrual cycle and she hits the period of the month where things are happening and it's not fun, you know, um, it, it, it says that she has to sit for, for seven days and get clean. It's not that that's a sin. A lot of people read that and go, oh, well, it's, she's a sin and that's why she couldn't go into presence. No, it's not that she's sinning. It's that there's, a rich, there's, there's an uncleanliness there that has to be purified ritualistically so that she can enter the temple again and be in God's presence. When we sin, that's what happens to us. It's not that we lose our salvation. It's that we become unclean. And we'll get into more of that later because I have verses to back that up from the New Testament. But let's, let's look at Mount Sinai. Is that cool? Let's go to Leviticus, or not Leviticus, I'm sorry, Exodus 19. Exodus 19. So um, last week we talked about what establishes, um, what constitutes a place, a sacred place for the Lord. I'm not going to go over that list tonight. Um, if you want to listen to that, you can catch up on it on the podcast or af- ask me after after I'm done speaking. And again, if you have any questions, raise your hand, yell at me. I like to talk. I want to follow your guys' hunger, right? I I would rather follow your hunger and follow Holy Spirit-inspired questions that you have than just preach at you because it's more fun for me that way. Um, So Mount Sinai in the desert, we look at this as the wilderness period. Israel looked at this as a cosmic mountain. This is a part of a cosmic geography where the Lord's presence sat tangibly for a long time, a long, long time. Um, so, if we look at, if we look at verse three, if we look at verse three. It says that, um, actually, let's start in verse two. It says, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. All right. So the first thing that I want to point out to here is, remember, sacred space. A sacred space is constituted. One of, the, one of the prerequisites for a sacred space is it has to be a place that the Lord establishes and his presence dwells. Right? Verse 3, we just said here that, uh, God was already on the mountain. While Moses went up, verse 3, while Moses went up, the Lord called out to him from the mountain. So two things to, to see here. One thing is a prerequisite for uh, sacred space is The Lord's presence has to, has to be there, right? The Lord's presence is on this mountain. The second thing that pre, that is a prerequisite for a holy space is that it either has to be a garden or a mountaintop. Well, where is he calling from? Mountain, right? Mount Sinai. So, um... Later on, we find in in Exodus 19, 9 through 11, verse 9 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words to the people of... When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. All right, so get this. Moses, this is, this is, this is where Moses, or, or this is where Yahweh begins to set Moses aside to do priestly duties and be a mediator between him and the people, um, the people. In, in the context, the Lord already appears as a, as, as a, a cloud of, of thunder, a voice like thunder, and it freaks out the Israelites. And so what do the Israelites do? They say, "We don't want to be scared of him anymore. So you go talk to them for us." And the Lord is like, "All right, fine." but at least have them consecrate themselves. So this is where Moses, this is where you begin to see a pattern of Moses going up and down from the mountain, up and down and up and down and up and down and being the one that primarily is speaking to the Lord on behalf of the people. When they build the tabernacle in the tent of meeting, that's when Moses spends all of his time in the tent of meeting and just doesn't leave, right? And when he does leave, one other person stays behind and it's Joshua. And it's part of the reason why Joshua is anointed to be the leader of Israel after Moses is gone. is because he just had a hunger for the presence of the Lord. He became consecrated and holy unto the Lord because that's the lifestyle he chose, right? So as we continue on in verse 12, it says, and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down to the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for on the third day, do not go near a woman. Remember what I was talking about the menstruation thing? This is what this is a reference to. He's not saying that women are evil. He's not saying that they're dirty or, or sinful. He's saying, hey, if a woman is in the middle of her menstrual cycle, don't, don't go near her. Right? Um, so look, in the context of this, um, the Lord is saying to Moses, Yahweh is saying to Moses that those who were not holy and touched the mountain would be put to death. Oh, we're going to get there. Until just now. Sacred spaces. <laughs> so Sacred spaces. Under. Sacred spaces, right? Why is it that anyone who actually touched Jesus before his time of, of death on the cross Why is it that it it was said and people would tempt him? Hey, if you say something, the Lord will send an angel to strike that person down because Jesus is the ultimate sacred space. Think about it. You'll get it. Anyway, let's keep going. Um, Verse 16. Let's do verse 16. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the trumpet of the... And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break up, break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits round the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. All right. So that was a lot, right? So this section really summarizes the previous verses. God is setting, Yahweh is setting Mount Sinai up to be a sacred space where unholy things, Ritualistically unholy things are not allowed to go up the mountain to see him. If you are not purified from sin and from uncleanliness of, of, of any kind, you cannot go up to the mountain to see the Lord. Only Moses is allowed up, and then Aaron is allowed up. And if you catch this, if you catch it, it's a blinking you miss, miss it verse. It seems very odd, because remember, the Lord says to Moses, Yahweh says to Moses, do not let anyone come up. And then he seems to make a special exception for the priests in these verses. But then he goes, oh, no, 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 wait. They got to be clean too, right? It's he's, he's categorizing. He's categorizing here because he's trying to tell us what is holy and what is sacred and what isn't. The majority of the book of Leviticus isn't a book of rules um, and laws that tell us what sin is. It's a book of rules and laws that tells us what it is to be clean and holy and set apart for the Lord. When we repent of those things, it's not, it's not repenting in the sense of repenting of a sin of like hating your brother or doing the things that we know are sins. Most of the things that the Lord is talking about are supposed to be, um, they're supposed to show us what it's like to be different from the outside world so that we look like His people, right? So let's go to chapter 20. <clears throat> We're going to do, well, we're not going to do all of 20 because I wanted to go through 20 through 23, but I'm going to tell you what, that's a lot of verses. These sections of scripture, um, chapters 20 through 23, are all laws um, given to the people of Israel to set them apart from the other nations of their time period so that they know what holiness is. These are the true sin issues that they're dealing with. Versus the nations that are around them. All right. So as we move on to chapter, let's go to <clears throat> 23, chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 20, 20. chapter 20. <clears throat> so this is the conquest of the, of the Canaanite land promised again, right? Um, So, and the reason why this is important, well, let's read it first. Behold, I'm an angel before you to guard you on the way to bring you. I send an angel before you to guard you on the way to bring you to a place where I have prepared. Pay attention, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him for he will not pardon your transgressions for my name is in him. This is Yahweh talking, right? He's going to send a special angel and we're supposed to obey his commandments and the name of Yahweh is with him. I know, Ariel just had had an epiphany again. Um, But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your enemies. To your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Pezicites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will blot them out. And you shall not bow to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and water and I will take sickness away from you, from among you. All right. So let's look at this for a second. So this angel that the Lord sends with him is the Lord's spokesperson. Not only that, but he carries the name of Yahweh with him. Right? This is a Christophany, this angel. This is another, well, This is another Elohim, so to speak, remember, because another thing that constitutes a sacred space is the presence of other Elohim or spiritual beings there. This angel, this Elohim, because the word angel there actually is Elohim in in the Hebrew, is not just any old angel or Elohim. This is the second person of the Godhead. This is Jesus, this is a pre-incarnation of Jesus. And in fact, until the until second temple time period, after they crucified Jesus, Jews believed that there was a, the, the ancient Hebrew people believed that there was a Godhead. It was a two-person Godhead and not a three-person Godhead, but it was still a Godhead. There are two forms of Yahweh that existed at the same time period. Isn't that interesting? But they've blotted that out of a lot of their history and you have to dig really deep to find it and find it. It's really hard to find. So um, so you've got this member of God's divine council and a member of the Godhead there who is meant to be with them, and he's going to guard them against Israel's adversaries mm-hmm. and their enemies. If the Lord is for you, who can be against you, right? Mm-hmm. But the big question is, if you're against the Lord, who can be for you? Nobody. So why is it so important that we understand what sacred spaces are? Because we need to understand what it's like to be for him and not working against him. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? Mm -hmm. All right. Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu... And 70 of the elders of Israel went up. Went up where? Ooh, interesting. I love this. You guys ready? This is crazy. And they saw the God of Israel. What? I thought you would die if that happens. 74 people went up to the mountain and saw the God of Israel. Woo! Let's keep reading. There was under his feet under his feet i thought the father was a spirit whose feet under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone like the ver- like the very heaven for clearness and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of israel and they beheld god and they ate and they drank Interesting. We don't talk about this enough. Mm -hmm. Isn't this a weird contradiction? Mm. Why were they allowed up on the mountain? Why were they allowed to eat and drink with with Yahweh, the God of Israel, right there? What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like communion in the New Testament to me, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. You're catching on. You're starting to see patterns as you recognize New Testament Mm -hmm. things in the New Testament, right? So get this. In these verses, Yahweh is confirming his covenant with his people by allowing their priests and their leaders to be in his midst and eat and drink with them. When you begin to study out the history of what a covenant is, every covenant is sealed with a meal. Why do we eat and drink and have toasts at weddings? Because we are confirming the covenant of the people that are getting married if you do not want to confirm that covenant and say, I will do everything that I can to make sure this covenant is not broken, you do not eat or drink that meal. Because the meal is a blessing. It's supposed to be a blessing for the people that are getting married. It's a confirmation, right? And so when the Lord invites all of his elders and his leaders, Exodus 24, verses nine through 11, when he invites the leaders of Israel up to the mountain with him, and has a meal with them and they all behold him, right? And they see underneath his feet the pathways of heaven. Woo! On Mount Sinai, what a sacred space. That's amazing. Isn't that so good? Mm. Man, I love it. (coughs) We'll talk, we'll do one more thing when it comes to, when it comes to Mount Sinai. Let's go to Exodus 34. If Micah was here, he'd... He'd already be there because he knows this is just, I just always go back here at some point. Every couple teachings, all of a sudden we're in Exodus 34 again. Well, 33 and 34. We're going to fast forward and um, we're not going to actually be on the mountain and see the Lord's backside. That's not the story we're going to go to, even though that's like my favorite. But we're going to look at um, Exodus 34 verses 29 I'm sorry, verses 28 through 30. So he was there with the Lord for 40, this is Moses being there for 40 days and 40 nights in case you guys don't know the story. Moses was up on the mountain with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments. So this is Moses renewing the covenant with the Lord, making new tablets of stone because he got angry and broke the other ones because Israel was deep in sin, worshiping a golden golden cow. And that's interesting because Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. (laughs) Yeah. So 40 is the number of testing in the Bible. Anytime you see 40, it's because there's there's a period of testing there, whether it's 40 days, 40 weeks, 40 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Israel was only supposed to be in the desert for 40 days. It was a 40 days journey from where they were at into the promised land, but because they sinned and rebelled, they got stuck there for 40 years. <clears throat> All right. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near to him. So look, this is the last thing we'll say about Mount Sinai. Because of the Lord's glory, Moses' face was shining with glory. When we spend time in sacred spaces, when we come together to partner with the Lord to create a sacred space When His presence is tangibly present and it's not just us playing church, we leave changed. You cannot spend time in the presence of the Lord in a place that He sets aside to be holy and walk away different. Do you come in clean? As clean as we can be because we want to experience Him. But we will walk away cleaner because His presence cleanses us from all sin. When we're in his presence and he's the only thing that matters, it's in those moments where he speaks to us about the sins in our lives that are hidden that others may have tried to talk to us about but that we've become offended over. But in his presence when he speaks, we walk away shining. We walk away shining because of the glory that's on us that cleanses us. Right? Ooh, let's talk about the tabernacle. Ooh, we're going to have some fun. Let's go back to Exodus 25. We're going to do one through seven. So get this. The tabernacle, I'm going to see if I can do this in 30 minutes, you guys. I'm going to go slow. I'm going to go through it, but I'm going to see if I can do it in, in 30 minutes. So get this. The Ark of the, taberna- the of the Tabernacle and the Tent of Meeting, and you'll see again in, in the temple because the temple is just supposed to be a magnified, more intense version of the, of the tent of meeting. The ark and the tent and the temple are all supposed to lead us back to Eden. They are echoes of Eden all the way through, right? So get this. Um, let's do uh, verses one through seven of chapter 25 of Exodus. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel so that they take me they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarn, yarns and fine tweened linen, goat's hair, tanned rams, ram skins, goat skins, uh, acacia wood, Oil for lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for fragrant incense. Onyx stones, remember that last week I said remember the onyx stones and the gold. Yeah. Onyx stones and gold, <clears throat> and stones for setting for the ephod for the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I will dwell, that I may dwell in their midst. All right, so get this. So the stones that surrounded Eden the special jewels that surrounded Eden in that place. Two of the special stones were gold and onyx stones. Um, some of the things that are going to be mentioned later on are things like emeralds, also things that dwelled in the land of Eden. They were, they were a part of the landscape that surrounded Eden and set it apart for people. Remember, when, we, when you go to, um, what is it? Is it Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28, where it describes the king of Tyre, which we know as being Satan, right? We looked at those verses a couple weeks ago. What is he bedazzled in? It's almost as if he's wearing an ephod like the priests, right? Right? Because he was supposed to be sacred space. What we forget oftentimes is that in ancient mythologies, especially near near, uh, uh, ancient Near Eastern religions, is that serpents or dragons, snakes and dragons guard thrones. Eden, was supposed to be the throne room of God on earth. It was supposed to be the place that jump-started on earth as it is in heaven where God's chosen people went out to conquer the, the void and the darkness that was there. Why was Satan in the garden? Well, he was a serpent. What do serpents do? They guard things. Even, even European mythologies have dragons guarding what? Gold. Look at, look at The Hobbit. Look at things like Lord of the Rings. All of that is based in Western European mythologies, which all come from and are based in the Middle East after God broke up Babel. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Even the Buddhist temple, you go to Asian countries, have dragons out. Woo, Hindus, we can go through a list. Oh, yeah. But do you see where this is starting to make sense? These sacred spaces, this idea of sacred space. So, God has these jewels and these stones that are meant to represent the idea of Eden and a sacred space. That's what he begins with. Why? Because when you're outside of Eden and you're going in, what are the first things that you see? It's not the beauty of Eden. It's not that it's a sanctuary. You begin to see the, the jewels and the sacred stones that are surrounding it, that cut it off from everything else. So he starts there. It's almost as if in Genesis, he starts in the middle and then he pulls you out, right? But when he's describing what the tabernacle and the temple are going to be like, he starts from the outside and pulls you back in. So that the last thing that you remember seeing, the surrounding of Eden, where all the stones, the gold, the onyx is, that's the last thing that you see in reference to Eden as its description. So what happens? He starts with the last thing you see so that he can pull you back in. You have some. say in New Jerusalem, you know, the city is described having the foundation stones. In the foundation, there are all these different, they name the different precious stones, mm-hmm. you know, that are in heaven. Yep. And then the holy city. Yep. So, so that's a holy city where God dwells. Mm-hmm. Okay. So every place where God dwells, these precious stones are going to show up. Gold's going to show up. Yep. Mm. Amen. That's why the breastplate had them Yep, yep, yep. Um, All right, so let's go to verse 17. Same chapter, it says, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. The mercy seat is supposed to be his throne on the ark, all right? So again, we're pointing back to Eden. Eden was supposed to be God's throne room on the earth. Um, And then it's supposed to be two cubits and a half shall be its length in the cubit and a cubit and a half as its breadth, And you shall make two cherubim what guarded the entrance to Eden. Two fiery cherubim with fiery swords, right? So two cherubim, oh, I lost my place. Hold on. 18, <laughs> 18 thank you. Uh, and you shall make two cherubim of gold of, of hammered work and you shall make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. We're going to go to verse 22. Make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat, you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. And the cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings and their faces. And their, they should be facing one another towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I give to you there I will meet with you and from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony I will speak with you about that about all that I will give you in the commandment for the people of Israel so a couple of things I want to point out here. Obviously, the mercy seat, the throne of God, right? This is the thing that Jesus, when he ascended back into heaven, after speaking with Mary, he ascended into heaven to do what? Pour out his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. So God's throne, right, is established on justice and righteousness, but the blood of Jesus, which speaks a better word, he desires mercy over judgment. Isn't that interesting? Not only that, but the two cherubim, not only are they guarding the throne, are they guarding the throne room, but they're turned so that they're facing the throne. So, what creates a sacred space? Heaven, as a sacred space, the throne room of sacred space, what's in it? Four seraphim covered in eyes that see the Lord new. Every day. This is the thing that blows my mind. And all they do is say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you realize that because they have so many eyes and because the Lord is infinite, that when they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, in this sacred space that the Lord set up for himself, every time they say that, they say it in a new way because they experience him and know him in a different way because of how infinite he is. And they've been doing this since since time began into the rest of eternity. We haven't even grasped that yet. We haven't even grasped that yet. And yet sometimes we come into worship and we treat worship as if it's this this thing that we have to do because it's a part of our Christian tradition. No, it's a privilege to get to worship him for who he is. I wish I had the mindset of those seraphim. We're supposed to be created higher than them. They're supposed to be lower than us. And yet for some reason, they have a greater idea of who God is than we do. And we treat things like worshiping God as a chore, whereas they treat it as a privilege because they've seen who he is. They've seen more of who he is. Can we change our mindset so that we as his people, as his representatives, we as his true children see him in greater ways than his angels do and have? That's what I want to get to. That's what I want us to get to. If we can do that, Everything else is going to be easy. Do you think that's what it means when, when it says in First John, and when we see Him, we'll be like Him? Amen. Because we won't have that revelation that they do until we get to that place. Yeah, not until we get to that place. But we can try. But yes, yes, I do. I do. I, and I think, I think, I think, because. We as Americans don't treat things as sacred because we've lived in a democratic republic all of our lives. We've missed out on what it's like to know what it is to have a real king and a real sovereign authority over our lives. And so I I think, and I'm not saying that we need to go back to England and, and like worship the, the ground that the king and queen of England walk on. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that because of how we've, how our country is set up, which I think is good, and how we've grown up um, in this country and understand politics, we don't understand what it's like to truly submit to lordship. I think we have a big problem with that. I, I do. I think that's why, I think that's why, like, I remember Miles Monroe saying something one time. He was like, man, sometimes I really hate coming to America and talking about the lordship of the Lord because you guys just don't get it, you know? And it's because he's from the Bahamas. It was a British colony for a long time. They worshiped the ground that the queen walked on, right? And we don't have that experience. So anyway, um, where was I? All right, verse verse 29. Let's go to verse 29. We're going to do 29 through 30. And you shall make the plates... And the dishes for incense and the flagons and the bowls with which to pour drink offerings and you shall make them of pure gold and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me. The bread of the presence on the table before me and drinks, cups that will always be full of drink offerings. This is in reference to Being in the Lord's presence uninterrupted, that fellowship that's there. Again, this is pointing back to communion with the Lord. What do we look at on Mount Sinai? There was an aspect of communion with the Lord, eating and drinking there with, with the priests and the 70 leaders, right? And in the New Testament, what do we do? We take communion with the Lord. It's not just remembering what he did, but there's supposed to be a spiritual element to it that opens us up to further commune with him we miss out on that because again, a lot of the times we treat it as if it's just this thing that we have to do all the time. It's one of the reasons why I don't necessarily like doing it every time we get together. And I'd rather do a big feast because in Acts, it was just a big feast anyway. It was, just, it was, it was called a love feast. That's really what it was. It wasn't just you know, taking a shot of wine and then eating the bread like we like to do or, or a shot of grape juice. It was an actual meal where you spent time with the people of God to experience God in a new way, right? Verses 31 through 37. And you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of of a hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches on the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side, three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms and their calyxes and, and flowers with their calyxes and flowers um, in a calyx on one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. These calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it. And the lamps shall be set up so as to, light, as to give light to the space on the front of it. Its tongs and its trays shall be pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown to you on the mountain. All right. So when you get into the temple, when you get into the temple, the lamps stand is set up to look like a tree that brings light into the tabernacle. A tree. This is the sacred tree in the tabernacle. What is this a reference to? the 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 tree of life in the middle of the garden, right? Because what does light give us? It says in the Old Testament several times, light gives us life, right? Isn't that interesting? 26, I'm going to do verses 31 through 33. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. It shall be made with cherubim, ah, skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of archaea overlaid with gold and hooks of gold on four bases of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the claps, and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil, and you shall veil and the veil shall separate you from the holy place of the most high. And you shall put the mercy seat of the Ark of the Testimony in the Most Holy Place. Alright. So look. The curtain with cherubim. The curtain of cherubim. Guarding the most holy or the most sacred space of the Tent of Meeting. What is this in reference to? Uh-huh. Eden was the most sacred space on the earth. The cherubim guarded it. Are you getting revelations or are you just listening to Kate's alarm? No, I'm like amazed. I've read this I don't know how many times. And, just and it's boring when you don't understand the context. Am I right? But when you understand the context, all of a sudden you're going, "What have I missed out on for so long? Why didn't I get it?" You know why we didn't get it? It's because we were raised in Western Christianity, where thinking about things as as a Jewish person or even a Messianic Jewish person, because there's a lot of Christians out there that don't really don't really care for Messianic Jews. When looking at things from a Jewish perspective is not something that's popular. Most. Christian pastors and theologians go to school for New Testament studies, which means they study the Greek, which means they get deeper and deeper into Western, Westernized Christianity. The majority of pastors do. And then when they go back to study the Old Testament, they're studying the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, and that's not how it's supposed to be. The Old came first for a reason. And you can't have the New Testament without the Old because almost every single verse... And the New Testament points back to a reference in the Old that we miss out on if we don't understand the context. It's crazy. It's been blowing my mind the more I learn about these things. That's why I'm so excited to share it, and I kind of trip over my words when I... Anyway, so let's keep going. So the cherubim guard the sacred space that is the Holy of Holies in this area. The tabernacle was cut off from the other parts of the tabernacle and the outside world, similar to how Eden was Cut off from the outside world. Mm -hmm. Right? Let's go to chapter 29. I want to read verses 44 through 46. You ready? Okay, Butch, I'll give you a second. Wait for the old guy. Excuse me, sir. You got it? You there? I'm (laughs) there. <laughs> this sound is like I'm there my mind. <laughs> All right. Starting in verse 44. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God and they shall know that I'm the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt and I that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. All right. So what's important here? What's important here? What I want you to see here is that the Lord establishes the tabernacle in this moment as a sacred space and he establishes the priesthood to work in the tabernacle as sacred people. He consecrates them. He cuts them off and makes them holy for himself. Right? What constitutes a sacred space? The Lord setting it apart from everything else. If all the the things pointing back to Eden aren't enough, this is it. This is the thing that constitutes it, constitutes it as a sacred space. And Him being dwelling among them. Now, in the, Old, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus is walking the earth mm-hmm. among Yep, them. yep, yep, yep. All right. Um, last one in Exodus, and then we're going to go to 1 Samuel 5. All right. Um, Exodus 31, we're going to do verses 1 through 11. I will wait for for Butch to to hit buttons. I'm there, sir. You got it? <laughs> you got it? <laughs> that's why that's why I'm always teaching from I'd rather flip pages. All right. We never know what translation Best to go to the phone so. <laughs> that's fair <laughs> you got me you beat me <laughs> I, at least I know Butch is always prepared alright verse 1 it says the Lord said to Moses see I've called my name Bezael Bezaleel. man I need to take a Hebrew class the son of Uri, son of her, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all, and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver and in bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in cutting wood to work in every craft. And behold, excuse me, I have appointed with him O O-Halab? Oh, oh, Hillelab? Um, it's mm, yep. See, now we're all having trouble. I jinxed <laughs> us. I messed up. Um, the son of a Shimek, a There it is. Um, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may all that I have command. They may do all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting. And the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all of its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offerings with all the utensils and the basin and the stand and the finely worked garments and the holy garments for Aaron and the priests and the garments for his sons and their service as priests. And the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy space, according to all that I have commanded you, they will do. What do I want you to see here in this moment? Because that was a lot of words. It was a long list. And sometimes I don't like lists because they just feel like giant run-on sentences in the Bible. Okay, this is, this is the man. This is the man that's supposed to build the sacred space. Remember, one of the things that makes a sacred space is that humans cannot build it themselves. So what did God do? He filled, he filled a man with his Holy Spirit. This is the first reference we have to the Holy Spirit indwelling anyone in Scripture. When, when in the New Testament and in, and, in, and in many Christian churches, we go, oh, well, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and no one in the Old Testament had that. Well, here's the, here's the exception. And everyone will make this exception when they're faced with the text. But but we need to understand that creating this sacred space was so important to Yahweh that he knew that man couldn't do it alone. So he had to feel, fill someone with his spirit in order to do it the right way. Isn't that interesting? Because I mean, he didn't fill David. No? no? The spirit came upon David. Yeah. Yeah. What like David said in 51, don't take your spirit away. Right. Yep. Wow. That's amazing. All right. If that wasn't enough, let's go to First Samuel 5. This is the last thing. Then we're gonna end it. I'm gonna crash this plane. I'm kidding. I'm not gonna crash it. I'm not gonna crash it. Yeah, I'm there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna land it. But I'm gonna land it, and you guys are gonna be excited. And you're gonna to want to get on the plane again. All right. Ready? 1 Samuel 5. Mhm. You ready for this? I'm so excited. We'll start in verse 1. When the Philistines captured the ark of God and they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashad, Adad, Ashdod, sorry. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. You know who Dagon is? Dagon is an Elohim. He is a demonic Elohim. He is evil. He, is, he, he was a dragon. He was one of the gods. He was one of the gods of... Man, he was a dragon. Whoa! The layers to this. Sorry. Dr- the serpent uh, angelic beings are supposed to be el- Elohim that guard thrones and guard God's throne. This makes way more sense now as to why... Things ended up the way they did. So let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back up in his place. Man, he fell down. (laughs) He threw his crown at the feet of Jesus. (laughs) Well, not quite, not quite yet, right? We got to get there. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the altar of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both of his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who entered the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So, this demonic, this, this, this Elohim, this being that they worshiped, not only did it was it forced to fall down in the presence of the ark, where, where remember, the Lord said, On the mercy seat is where my presence will sit. When the presence of the Lord entered into, entered into this being's this threshold. Not only did it have to fall down and worship the Lord, but When it refused to give up its space so that this space would become holy again, it had to hit the ground. The Lord forced it to hit the ground and worship again and then the Lord cut off its head so that it couldn't rise again. But what else did it cut off? His arms. What do we use to worship the Lord? The beings that do not give glory to Yahweh in the end will always lose their ability to worship, period. Period. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> but get this, it goes further. And then the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors both in Ashdod and its territory. And when the man of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of the, God, of the God of Israel must not remain with us for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they s- sent and gathered together the lords of the Philistines, and said to them, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought round to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it round, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a, great, causing a very great pan- panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the Ark of God to Ekron, but as soon as the Ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought round to us the Ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the Ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own people, that it may not kill us and our people, for there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. And the hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So there are a couple of things I want to point out here when it comes to the Lord and and, and how he does things and and this, this idea um, of sacred space, not in the sense of like the idea of sacred space as a whole and what we're trying to build, but but the idea. But what is actually going on here in context, in context, right? Because this is in the city. This this is in the land of the Philistines. This is in a Philistine city. One of the reasons why the Lord commanded Israel to go up to war against the Philistines and wipe them all out is because they were descendants of the Nephilim. Nephilim, according to Genesis 6, were mutations, human mutations, where sons of God or Elohim mated with the daughters of men and created warriors of old, mighty men. Um, This is a defilement. And in fact, in in, in, in the Jewish mind, there were three falls. There was Eden. There was this mixing of divinity and humanity that was not approved by the Lord, which honestly, when you start thinking about generational iniquity, And how the word iniquity means to twist and to bend something until it distorts its image. Well, what happens in Genesis 6? Something that was supposed to be divine came down without the approval of Yahweh. Yahweh was not the one that made it divine or or began to, to bridge the gap. The Tower of Babel was the third one. Yes. But there's that twisting there, right? And then the Tower of Babel was the third one. So when... When the Lord is in the land of the Philistines, one of the reasons why they're so scared that they're all going to die is because they know as descendants of Nephilim, as giants, Israel's going to get them anyway. And if the Ark of the Lord stays in their land, it's over. It doesn't matter if the, if Israel comes and, and kills them all by the sword, the Ark is going to kill them because they can't stand in the presence of Yahweh. They just can't do it. They're defiled. Not just on a, like, ritualistic level like like the Lord warns women you know in, in chapters prior that we read but but down to their DNA they are defiled in a way that makes them unrepentable and unchangeable right so <clears throat> not only that but remember when Abraham was in the land of the Philistines he he did something there to set up something sacred for Yahweh you remember that Talked about this last week. When when he was in the land of the Philistines, he built an altar next to what? A tree that he planted. A sacred tree that he planted. And so Yahweh, knowing this, knowing that this is going to happen, it's almost like Abraham's a secret agent. Because he sets up a sacred place in the land of the Philistines for Israel to go back to to conquer. And so that when his when his ark, when the Lord's ark is there, the Lord's saying, the Lord is not only saying, "Hey, divine one of my divine council members, you messed up because you were supposed to point these people back to me. I'm supposed to be their God and you messed up." Not only is he saying that, but he's also saying, "Hey, guess what? One of my guys, he was here before. This land is mine. So whether you like it or not, I'm coming. And while my presence is here, Tangibly, I'm going to make sure you know who I am and what I'm coming for. So what can we learn from this as we finish up? One of the things that we can learn from this, from the the ark, we, we, we'll get into this much later too, but in in summary, in the New Testament, we become the new arks of the Lord. When we get together in worship and set up a sacred space in some place like Highland Park, where it's clear that Satan and his, his demonic forces are ruling and reigning supreme and laughing about things on a daily basis, right? Between, between the gang wars, between the drugs going around, between the prostitution on the streets, and, and every, everything else in between, right? The racial unrest. Jesus died so that the whole earth could be his, Satan and his kingdom are on notice and their time is imminent. We have a responsibility to speed that up as we come together in worship. Because if we can learn to host the presence of the Lord and make this a sacred space so that when we dwell together, we're dwelling in a sacred space. When we go out, our faces will be shining. And when we go out, the Lord will fight fight our battles for us. And when we go out, people will notice that there's something different. And when we go out, the Holy Spirit will follow. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He brings salvation. He brings signs and wonders and miracles. He brings the presence of the Lord so tangibly that something has to happen because there's a collision. And anytime there's a collision between... The kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of darkness. One of them has to give. And you, it's supposed to be Satan because his gates aren't supposed to prevail against the kingdom of heaven. But there's, there is, there, um, there's a contingency there because if we are not aware of his presence, if his presence isn't strong with us by our own dedication to him, it hinders what He can do in a moment. It will not hinder what He does at the end. It will not. Bet your bottom dollar. He's going to win. He's already won. But these battles that he, he enlists us to fight on His behalf, our awareness of His presence and what we carry with us and learning how to carry His presence with us well will make all the difference. Let's pray. But we come before you in the name of Jesus? Thank you so much for what your word says about sacred spaces. And Lord, I thank you um, for Mount Sinai. I thank you for your tabernacle. I thank you that we get to be your new tabernacle, your new ark. That your presence goes with us. Thank you that we get to be one with you. Lord, I pray that you would continue just to teach us what it's like to Partner with you to create a sacred space where your presence doesn't just come to visit, but that you come to dwell. You come to dwell. We invite you to come and dwell in this place. In this place. Let it be. Let let your presence be so tangible, like so tangible. We don't. I mean, we don't even care who gets the credit. Like, Lord, we pray that you bless Founding City Church. If your presence comes here and Founding City Church gets the credit and they, they get salvations and they get healings and they get revival, Lord, so be it. We don't care. We just wanna be your humble servants that do the job that you've given us to do well. And that is to set up a sacred space so that people encounter you. Lord, we pray that this place would be so sacred that even the volunteers that come in that are on the fence that don't know, that they're they're inspired, they see you, they want to know more about you, Lord, that it wouldn't just be The Chosen, that it wouldn't just be a TV series that that gets them more inquisitive and, and more on fire for you, but that it would be the actual presence of your spirit here tangibly ministering to them and meeting them every day that really sets them on fire. Lord, the, the kids that come in for youth life. Let this place be something different. Not just another after school program, not just not just... Uh, man, not, not just a place to get out of the house but a place where they really get to meet God. Lord, let, let the teachers of youth life here, let them be so inspired by your presence here that, that when they actually teach their Bible lessons, that there's substance to them. There's substance to them and not just another thing that they have to do in order to make sure they're a Christian ministry. Let it be real. Let it be tangible. Lord, for the men that come here on Mandate Monday, they're so on fire for you now. They want to know more about you. They're, 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 they're praying in the, in the name of Jesus. They're there, I mean, man, one of the guys is so inspired by your love and everything that you've done for him that he went out and bought, bought notepads for everyone in our men's group and pins for everyone in our men's group and wrote little messages and gave them to us on Monday. Let those testimonies keep coming in because your presence is here. Teach us, teach us to partner with you in creating a sacred space and stewarding your sacred space well so that so that we're not just looking at praise and I we praise you for Asbury and what you're doing in Asbury right now, Lord. But I, but but <clears throat> Lord, we 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 don't just want we don't just want revival meetings. And and I and I dare say Lord we don't just want revival meetings. We want a lifestyle of of personal revival, but that can only be found when we learn how to create a sacred space for you and with you. I don't care if we get known as being another revival hotspot. I don't care I don't, I don't care how our name goes out or what we're, what we're faced with. What I care about Lord is that we are obedient to you in learning how to create a sacred space for your people to come together. a sacred space that's safe. For your people to come together. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on politically, no matter what's going on in, in the city of Richmond or or in the state of Virginia or in the United States, that, that Highland Park Community Church would be known as a place that is safe for God's people to dwell and for people who don't know Yahweh to come and meet Him. That's our heart's desire. So Lord, we thank you. We bless you We give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. We pray that you experienced the Holy Spirit in revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you've been impacted by our ministry and would like to make a financial contribution, or you'd like to partner with us to reach the Highland Park community, visit us at www.myhpcc.net. We'll see you next time.